are here and done by noon. And I had a bunch of guys that helped on Friday night, uh, big, strong Scott lifting up the truck. He just carried it on his shoulder and walked down the highway. I'm like, dude, we can drive it. Um, but it was great. So really, thank you all. We're, we're getting settled in. So um, thank you for that. Also, if you're going on the Latvia trip, we're, we are taking a team to Latvia, which is former Soviet bloc country, Eastern Europe. We leave on Thursday. Our team is leaving. So we ask for lots of prayers. But if you're specifically going that trip, will you stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. There you go, Slim Shady. Yeah. So there's... There's a, team, there's a team of 14 of us, yeah. So there's a team of us that are going, and so um, keep standing, please. I'm gonna pray. Lord, I, we just bless our trip. We bless this team. We bless families left behind, jobs, houses, um, schedules, finances. These people have given up a lot to go. Would you just bless our team, our trip, all the logistics, all the projects, all the ministry, all the amazing things, all the relational dynamics with each other and with you. Would you just do amazing things with our team, with Kazan and Clarine and their team, Boots on the Ground Latvia, and for that church, Lord. We know in that country, one to 3% of people know you. And not many even know about you. And you love Latvia, Lord. A place that's been oppressed by war and by communism and just... Um, just poor leadership and brokenness, Lord. Would you just use us to bring light in the darkness? Would you empower this team? Thank you for how you've lavishly provided, Lord. And I just thank you for everyone's going. We pray no weapon formed against us would prosper. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So I was thinking this week, last week we talked about gospel fluency. And we're talking about what it means to, to, not just to follow Jesus, but in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, um, if we can go to that slide real quick, it says, and they overcame him, him being the evil one, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, jerk, face, um, worst guy ever, millions of years running, whatever, you know, I don't know how long, thousands of years running. Um, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. It means that they didn't care about their lives so much that the life in the age to come meant more than what the dark foul one could throw at us on earth. And we know that there's been a lot of people in church history that have actually died for their faith. There's people still today. Do you know there's more people martyred in 2022 than any other year in church history? So if we think that stuff doesn't still happen, that people aren't still fed to lions, there's worse. There's worse stuff that happens out there than even being swallowed at once by a beast. But one of the things that we look at is we look at the gospel that the gospel is good news. And we know that the gospel is that there's this tragic thing that's happened in our world where there's so much death, destruction, selfishness, self-pulverization, there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's human trafficking, there's poverty, there's generational brokenness, there's disease, and the good news is that's not all there is. And when I think about being gospel fluent, 
what I really think about is what kind of Christian do I want to be? And I think one of the things, if you've been around here for a while, is um, just learn it. Like, we, we don't want to just be church-going Christians. Like, obviously, that's important. But going to, to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being parked in a garage makes you a car. And a lot of times, I think in our culture, we've kind of lumped it up to, you know, we put a little bit of kitty in the coffer, we go to church our 2.6 times a month, and we call it a day, and we're almost Christians by osmosis, right? We're born in a Christian country, or maybe we were baptized as a baby, or our grandma or grandpa went to church, and so we're just Christian de facto. But I think there's so much more that the gospel is so much more than that, that a lot of us don't speak the language of heaven because we just think that that was just the rite of passage was our attendance or an event. And I think about, when I think about what kind of Christian that I want to be, really starts with, at my heart, do I want what Jesus wants for my life? Do I want what Jesus wants for my life? How, how do I define the story? How do I define the good news? Should be the way Jesus defines the good news. Not the way my family's defined it, not the way my experience has defined it, not the way the church has defined it, not the way history has defined it, not the way my culture defines it, but how does Jesus define it? Because if we're trying to be like Jesus, let's start with what he says about the gospel. Like, it is why he came. If you're wondering, why are we talking about being gospel fluent? What does that even mean anyways? It is why Jesus came. Jesus came, said, I came to seek and save the lost. End of story. Like, it matters to Jesus. Evangelism, reaching the lost, the good news, evangelism is just the telling. It's the sharing. It's the proliferation of the good news. What is the good news? Because sometimes that can be really hard. Like Paul talks about, talks about in Romans chapter 10. He's like, how will they... How will they hear unless they're told? Well, how will they be told unless they're sent? How will they be sent, really, unless they're discipled and trained up into that? Because um, no one just, I mean, we've all kind of started a job where someone drops you there and it's like, good luck. And that's usually, by definition, kind of a sucky, short-term, or miserable job. Now, sometimes we learn a critical skill, but a lot of people don't last that way. And one of the things that, we see as Jesus didn't, didn't just come, he didn't say, hey, go be disciples. No, Jesus came and lived amongst his disciples and taught them some of the critical skills to do the stuff, right? To do what he did. Well, not just to do what he did, but to know what he knew. He taught them to talk the way he talked, to live the way he lived. And so we wanna be a culture of people that look like heaven and heaven's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. It's by him. It's through him. It's for him. It's all about him. And in heaven, it's going to be Jesus everything. It says that the sun shines so bright, there won't even really be a need for a sun. The brightness of Jesus eclipses the stars in the solar system. Imagine that. That's worth learning about. Something that's brighter than like a supernova. 
is Jesus, that there's no need even for that stuff because his brightness, his glory is so luminous that not only did it change everything, but it changes everything. And is Jesus, is the gospel eliciting that type of change in my life? It says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. What Jesus did was so amazing that it changes everything for us, or it has the potential to at least. Can I communicate that to people? Can I really talk about Jesus in such a way like our good friend Heidi Baker just when asked, I just remember the tears, and you might have heard me say this before, she just looked and she just said, what's, what's it about Jesus? And she's just like, I love him. I love him. Like, it's worth giving up everything in my life because if you knew him like I knew him, like, I love him. I'm in love with him. Like, I love Carla. I love Carla so much. So much of my life has changed because, like, her love for me has changed so much about me because, honestly, she came to this thing. uh, It wasn't really equal. My wife was a lot healthier, a lot more whole, way better than me. And she's just loved me in such a way. It's changed so much of my life. that when someone's like, well, what about Carla, if anyone ever asked me? I mean, A, no one would ever ask me. Like, if you look at me and Carla, next to that, it's what about Ryan? <laughs> like, why did you make that choice? So no one's ever gonna ask that. But just hypothetically, let's say if there was a, like a universe where I was better looking, smarter, more talented, or more lovely than Carla, which, you know, maybe in the multiverse somewhere, this flash, if I could run through dimensions, there might be one out of a million. Um, but if you ask me, I love her. I love her. Like, she just loves me. She gets me. She cares about me. She sticks with me. Like, she's changed. Her, her love and the Christ-likeness in her has changed so much of my life. I'm up here because she loves me. Like, Jesus is the single greatest way God's used anyone in my life has been my wife to show his love for me. And I I love Jesus. I love him. Ergo, I want to talk about him. I want to talk about him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of the gospel. Do you, have you ever felt the love of Jesus like that? Can you not not talk about him? And maybe you're like, "I, I... I don't know him like that. Well, that's, that's why we want, that's why discipleship's so important because discipleship is where we become like Jesus and we start to know Jesus. So you might wonder, are these house groups, these disciple-making communities worth it? Well, if you wanna know Jesus like that, I would say yes. And that's not like trying to plug our own brand. We're plugging his brand. He said there's a way to do this. It's family on mission. He takes people and changes them by the dynamics of his love. And in a family is where we learn to speak, isn't it? Didn't everyone here learn how to talk in your family? Whether you were in a natural family, a combined step family, or maybe you had like live-in people, or you were adopted, you were fostered, you learned to communicate. Raise your hand if you can talk. I didn't see it. Is there anyone? And if you're mute, I want to pray for you, seriously. Everyone here, as far as I can tell, can talk. We all learned how to communicate in a family. Things you say, things you do are as a result of your family of origin. I'm not saying, I'm not grading what that was like, that experience, good, bad, or ugly, but we all learned to communicate 
in that framework, right? The gospel is the same way. If we want to learn how to speak the gospel, there are some Christians that speak a really ugly rendering of heaven because their gospel communities aren't really good news. There are lots of rules. There are lots of inaccuracies. There's lots of culture mixed in with the Bible. There's lots of do's and don'ts, or there's lots of inattention to the word of God, or there's a muting of his spirit. So there's a lot of Christians that when they speak the gospel, it doesn't sound at all like Jesus. We've all been around those people. We've probably been those people at times where we forsook our love of Jesus for the thing in front of us. And it didn't speak very plainly that the good news was at work in our lives, that a different, better power was at work in our lives. Got this strap, this cord going down my shoulder. It keeps feeling like I got a bug on me. Sorry, bear with me. There we go. It happens when you have giant muscles. It just pulls things the way it wants to go. It's weren't made. Just kidding. Um, so, um, I just think sometimes we've all seen examples that doesn't communicate very well, the gospel. And so we're doing this series on gospel fluency because it's really to communicate the word in the works, like what we're called to, the Bible in the works. But there's also, there's this way of Jesus. So we have the word, we have the way, and we have the works. If we miss the way of Jesus, if we miss the nuances of Jesus, we could communicate the completely wrong message to the world. And we've all heard it, we've all seen it. Either it's a workspace thing, right? Like I, I have to work to get to heaven. I'm not good enough, I have to throw a bunch of Hail Marys, I have to do this thing, I have to pray this way, I have to show up at this, I have to do that, blah, 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 blah. And there's all these, you know, like Jesus is Santa, right? making a list, checking it twice, trying to find out who's naughty or nice. And man, if I, if I fart in church, it's over. Or if I ever cuss when someone pulls out in front of me, or if I got a booger hanging out and I preach, you're done. Or there's some people are so loosey-goosey that it's just like grace, 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 grace. Like holiness doesn't matter at all. And my life looks no different as a result of Christ in me. And there's a sacred middle space, the way of Jesus. Jesus is like, I want you to know all about my Bible and I want you to do the stuff, but I really care if you do it the way I did it. I really care because Jesus didn't come saying I'm right. He did not come saying I'm right. He came saying the Father is good. Jesus cares about goodness way more than rightness. And the gospel, being gospel fluent in, is about saying everything right or a perfect package or every time you talk about Jesus, people sign up on the line. It's about do we communicate the heart of God in the way we express ourselves linguistically, physically, emotionally, mentally? Are we thinking about heaven? Like, like you guys have heard me talk, like, like, I love the German language, and I'm by no means like a ninja in it. Some of you are fluent in multiple languages. But, like, I knew I was learning German when I actually started to have some dreams in German. It's like, I, and sometimes in our lives, if we're never thinking about Jesus, then we maybe need to back up a few steps. Are we gospelly fluent? Because if we're not in, invested in the word, if we're not invested in the works, we're probably not going to do it his way either. 
Like there's a lot of Christians like, oh, well, I don't go to church because I, 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 don't, I don't need that. I don't wanna do that. And the church is too messy or whatever. Well, like there's actually things that like, we can't just get away. We're gonna do it his way. But he actually says things in his word that like these are necessary functions of the body of Christ. So we need his word to govern the way. And we need his way so we do works the proper way. So it's important to be fluent in the gospel. So we talked last week about the blood of the lamb. The, the blood is the power, like Jesus died on the cross. There's only one way to heaven and it's by acknowledgement of that. Only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to bother, Father, but by me. So there, the only way to this is an acknowledgement of our need for Jesus. That's one of the things of the gospel. If you wanna be fluent in the gospel, maybe it's time to say, God, I realize I'm not dependent enough upon you. Jesus says he, that the pride, that, that the proud are humbled. He says, but the humble are exalted. The most humble thing we can always do is agree with Jesus. Prayer is so important because prayer aligns our heart and our posture in a proper way that says, Jesus, I'm dependent upon you. Jesus, I need what your input is. I need your strength to overcome this. I need your power. I need your wisdom. I need your love. Maybe you're in a situation where you have cold love. It's like, just Jesus, Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Will you help me fall in love with Jesus? Will you help me fall in love with my spouse? Will you help me fall in love with my kids and love them the way you do? You understand what I'm saying? Prayer is important because prayer is that communication where we hear him and we start hearing the way he wants us to communicate the gospel. See, you might be fluent in some rendering of the gospel that's some dirty thing. Like anyone, anyone ever watch Tombstone? Are you serious, Lord? I just ask you to touch my church today. These blind people. <laughs> like Tombstone, if you've watched, it's probably in your top five. If you haven't, like Obi-Wan, go home and rethink your life. I'm gonna go home and rethink my life. Like, you know, go home and do that. Tombstone rivals Star Wars. If you're looking for great anything. Um, but there's this, there's this part where there's this Mexican dude at the beginning who's trying to translate for Curly Bill. And he's like, oh, he's talking about some white horse or something. And Johnny Ringo's like, you're wretch, your Spanish is worse than your English. That's not what he said at all. He said he's actually talking about there's one who will come on a white horse. And on him, is, is, his name is Death talking about Jesus, and he's, he's quoting the book of Revelation. Some of us, our, our gospel understanding is really bad. And we don't translate heaven very well to the world around us. Do you know, gospel fluency is all about us translating what God wants to say to the world. That's why it's important. You might wonder, why is this important? Because God picked you to be on his team, and if you're not on his team yet, he's choosing you to be on his team. Well, I thought that's for the chosen. Well, the chosen are just those who choose, in my book. The chosen are those who choose. Amen. And guess what? Jesus is an equal 
opportunity employer. He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of his grace. And I think it's a bad gospel to say, oh, well, only some people do this. Because some of that broke thinking of the tulip stuff just like basically leaves a lot of people out and gives people no chance in. And then it also makes a cozy coterie of people that do nothing with their faith because I was picked, I was picked. Fan me with grape leaves, I am great. I'm great, I was picked, you're out. You don't know who Jesus is, you barbarian. Sorry for you. And it's taken away a lot of the urgency of people to preach, because if I'm going to heaven anyways and I can't lose it anyways, then why do I have to share? Why do I care about these people that maybe they weren't picked? And if that offends you, come talk to me. I love talking about that stuff, but I'm just making a point. Look at, a lot of times we just look at the fruit. Look at the root. In that of itself, it creates a, it, it creates a gospel influence. It's inconsistent with what we see in the book that Jesus died for everyone to come. Because he says he invited everyone to the banquet. He invited these religious types first, and they disavowed him, and then he went and brought everyone else in. Meaning, I invited Israel first, and then I went to the whole world. So Jesus wants everyone to be saved. That's part of the fluency of the gospel is that we know that's his heart for everyone is that he wants everyone to come to know him. The good news summed up is Jesus gets us, he loves us, and he wants us. That's, if you wanna just sum up what the gospel is, Jesus gets us, he loves us, and he wants us. It matters to him, friends, that your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your kids, your grandkids, your parents, it matters to him if they hear about him. It matters if people see him in action. So what's the gospel? How's Jesus define it? Jesus, his first day on the job, rolls out the scroll of Isaiah, stands up in the synagogue, and he picks this of all passages. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news, the gospel, parenthetically, that's my parentheses, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, prisoners, and opening of prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of the vengeance of our God. That might seem like a weird thing, vengeance to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities in the desolation of many generations. Isaiah chapter six, D1, verses one through four. So to be gospel fluent is to preach the good news to the poor. The poor could be any number of things. It could be people that are financially poor, that don't have resources. It could be those who are family poor. There's a lot of people that don't have families, that don't have people that love them. It could be people without actual parents, so foster, orphan, like we hear a lot. It could be people that are widows or widowers that they're lonely, they're, they're bereft of company, they're bereft of people that love them, they're bereft of uh, possibly just 
a lot of what was rooted in someone they spent so much of their life with is now gone. And they need help making decisions. They need help reestablishing boundaries or families. Or maybe people are divorced. That would be people relationally poor. That, there was, that they, they don't have, that everyone who's divorced, that there's, there's pain that goes with it. So he came to preach the gospel to the poor. It's not just the financially poor. He has sent me to the brokenhearted to proclaim, to proclaim freedom. Freedom is not, it is people in jail, but it's also maybe a lot of people, maybe some of you have been in and out of jail because of the choices that other people have made for you or you've made for yourself. That you're, you're, or maybe you're in a prison right now. You've never been in jail, but you're like, I can't quit doing this. I can't quit imposing my will on people. I can't quit being a bully. I can't quit being a doormat. I can't quit using porn or alcohol or sex, or I can't quit being a, uh, I can't quit the drugs I'm doing. I can't get, I can't stop being anxious to proclaim freedom to the captives. Maybe you can't quit watching TV. Maybe you can't quit eating. Maybe you can't quit trying to manage all the addicts around you and codependency grips you. Maybe you can't get over those decisions. Maybe you were a person who, who had a, made a choice like an abortion or maybe gave your body away or did some stuff in your life you're not proud of and you just can't get over it and you're in an internal prison. Maybe you're bitter. Bitterness is one of the worst kinds of prison, right? It's like I'm drinking the poison and I expect it to kill you. There's a lot of bitter people, right? Who just can't get over what's happened to them. Maybe you're bitter at God. Maybe you're bitter at your parents or another person. Maybe a pastor, a leader. Bitter at, I don't know. The world's not what it used to be. So many of us are captives. And Jesus Christ said, I've come to set captives free to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. Vengeance, that's, doesn't that seem like a, as I've read this before, I'm like, that's a weird one in there. We talked about this dude, the devil. Do you know when we preach the gospel, we become God's agents of vengeance on his arch nemesis? When we live the gospel, we become God's vengeance comes against the curse of sin and the initiator of it. God wants us to be avengers in this world of his cause. Anyone watch the Avenger movies, Marvel movies? Okay, got a few, few more intelligent people than the, zoom, than the tombstone thing. Um, but, but the Avengers, like I love it, it's kind of these people with these ragtag people from all over the galaxy who are coming together to fight a battle for all mankind against this this like inimical foe, Thanos, the guy with the glove at the bottom. And they're coming together and Tony, um, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., um, you know, he says, we might not be able to save the world, but we'll be darn sure we avenge it against this enemy. We might not save everyone in the world, but are we doing what we can to avenge for God to take back what's his? Or do we just roll over when it gets hard? Because just rolling over is against the gospel because even though I don't have the power to do some of these things, Jesus does. 
And I might not have an Iron Man suit or like a magic hammer, but I serve a God who could take all these guys out like a Thanos snap and says, I want to use you to join me. Do you know God wants to use you to fight evil in this world? I'm not saying don't come to church, but I'm saying it is so much more than just coming here. Jesus wants us when we go out there to go be the church. And I know sometimes it's really hard and we limp in here and we're like, I don't know if I have anything else to give. Well, the gospel, the good news is, is maybe the stuff we're stuck in, maybe Jesus wants to start untangling that so we can get more fluent in the gospel. Maybe there's things in our lives that he wants us to take a hard look at and say, hey, why are you settling for good when you can have best? Because I think a lot of times we just get encumbered by the pursuit of good and we miss God's best for us. The word of our testimony, your story matters. All this stuff to say, your story matters and God wants you and I to join him in his story communicating the hope and the life and the love and the mercy and the grace and the freedom and the potential of the gospel. God wants that for us. We are his agents of good news. Do you know, look at the person next to you and say, I am the good news. I am the good news. Paul talks about this. In Second Corinthians 3, he says, do we again begin to commend ourselves? Do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but flesh, but on the heart. Our lives are living in letters of God's good news to the world. So all this is summed up. Are you God's letter? Are you a letter that translates the goodness of heaven to the world around you? No matter what hand you've been dealt, are, is heaven taking hold of us more and more that we are translating heaven and that we're living epistles? Because a lot of people will never, ever care about the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John if the gospel according to Ryan is stinky or if the gospel according to Ryan has holes in it, or the gospel according to Ryan is full of selfishness, full of cruelty, full of impatience, full of anger, rage, bitterness, lust, depression. All these things, we all deal with them, and it's okay. It's okay to live in reality, but is the gospel transforming our lives in such a way that we're saying, hey, the blood of the lamb is this. The gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the other you know, 62 books are this, but this Acts 29 sort of thing, this continuum of the gospel in our world, Christ in me is the hope of glory. Is Christ in you the hope of glory? I want you to hear a story now. One of our, um, one of our congregants here, um, we're gonna watch her, test, watch her testimony. Uh, Benita, she's back there. And um, I want you guys to hear her story of how God took one of the worst things that a person could go through and start bringing vengeance on the dark one. So if we can roll her story.
My name is Benita Neal, for the ones that don't know who I am. And I live in uh, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. And the other Sunday when the pastor shared his words, God's been on me for a while to share mine. And after he shared, I, it, he really started getting in on me. Of course, when he gets in on you, so does the devil. And the devil's been talking to me a lot, but I'm doing it despite the devil. Because I'm a child of God, and I'm going to do what God says to do. Amen. Anyway, uh, I come from a large family of 14, seven boys and seven girls. I'm the seventh one, or the ninth one from the top, and the fifth one from the bottom. I uh, only had seven, uh, seven, had four children, two boys and two girls. I have a son that's deceased that passed away in 19... Uh, approximately 1988, about a week and a half before his 13th birthday. I have several grandkids and great-grandkids. God has really blessed me that way. And here I thought my life was going pretty good. Then in uh, I was convicted of a crime that I didn't do. I ended up spending 26 years in prison. And when it first happened, I couldn't believe it because during the trial I thought, okay, they'll never convict me because number one, I didn't do it. God knows I didn't do it and he's going to help me. Well, that didn't happen and I ended up going to prison. I never got mad at God, but I kept asking him, why? Why? You know, I know you could have prevented me from going, but you didn't. And then finally, I just realized that he put me there for a reason. And I've thought and thought, and I've always enjoyed helping people, people anyway. So I proceeded to help people with whatever they needed. I went to college. I started college as soon as I got to prison. I ended up getting associates and a bachelor's degree. And I loved going to school. I loved learning new things. Even at my age, I was like 43, I believe, when I went to prison. And like I said, I would help people out. Of course, they would help me out because there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And then after I got out of prison, I mean, after I got out of uh, college, we always had to work. We always had to have a job. So I went to the kitchen and uh, God has healed me twice while I was in prison. First time was when I was in the kitchen. I got burnt real bad on my arm and I went back to the dorm and I showed the lady at the desk and the, my next door neighbor, which is a real good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, they said, well, you know, we can't believe you got hurt that bad. So I was hurting, so I took like four aspirins, and I lay down, and before I went to sleep, I prayed. I said, God, I said, if you would heal me, I said, I will give you all the praise and glory. And when I woke up, I was in no pain, and I looked down, and I had to do a double take, because there was nothing there, nothing. So the next day, I went... Of course, I showed my friend and the officer, and they couldn't believe it either. And uh, the next day, I went to uh, work in the kitchen, 
and they asked me what I was doing there. I said, well, I come to work. They said, well, you're supposed to be off because you, I said, why? They said, because you got burned. I said, where did I get burned? They said, there, your arm. And they looked and there was nothing. And I praised God again. I said, God healed me. So he's been with me throughout the whole time. I was a Christian when I went in and I was a Christian when I come out. He stayed with me the whole time, never left me. And there was times that was pretty hard, but he was still there with me. I got out in uh, September the 14th of 2019. And my goals when I first got out, I want to get me a cat and I want to find me a good church to get into. Well, unfortunately, my cat came first. But I eventually, uh, you know, found a place to live and got a vehicle and stuff. And um, I had a very good friend of mine introduce me to this church. And I've been coming ever since. I've been coming here a little over a year. And uh, God is still blessing me all the time. He blesses me no matter what I do. And the main thing is that I found this church, and I love it. I love coming here. I just feel so welcome, especially the first day I walked in. People would grab me and hug me. And I've never been a, a hug-type person, but I've learned to do it. And if I don't do it to people, I'm sorry. It's, it's not that I don't want to. It's just after 26 years of being drilled that you cannot even touch a male or female, it's hard, it's still hard for me to hug people, but I'm getting there. And I just ask that you, you know, work with me. It helps me when I tell my story. It really does, it, it lifts stuff off my heart. God has been with me, he'll be with you throughout, no matter what you've been through. Maybe somebody needs to hear my story. I needed to hear Ryan's, you know, to get the courage to, to do this myself, maybe I'll be an inspiration to someone. And I just want everybody to know that God is always there with you no matter what you're going through. That's the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Our story matters. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to talk about that you fell in love with this man named Jesus and be able to say what he did for you. That's what gospel fluency is, is what did Jesus do to me and what's he doing through me? Your story matters. You're a living epistle. You're the gospel according to you. Your story matters. And God, just like those Avengers, wants to, he's assembling a team of people to exact his vengeance on all the injustice that's in the world. Because God cares about people seeing his heart and living according to the original design. Like we, we all can see it's broke, whether you're a Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Confucian, whatever, we all know that the world's broken. That's not some mystery. But what do we do with it is the mystery. And that's 
what we want to get fluent in is, can you tell your story to other people? What's the gospel to you? Because you can know everything theologically about the gospel of Jesus. But if, if, if that doesn't translate to your life, that won't impact a lot of people the way it's meant to. What's the gospel according to you? Can you fluently tell people what Jesus did and what he's doing? Why it matters. I'm not trying to convince you. I mean, I hope to convince you. Paul, like when Paul's before Festus, he's like, I, I wish all of you were as I am, except for these chains. I, I wish everyone knew Jesus because I, I think my life would be a complete disaster without him. So I wish everyone knew him, so I'm gonna tell him. I'll talk about Ambar Indian, or I'll talk about the Bengals, or I'll talk about, I'll probably you know, talk about the Flash movie I'm gonna see. Um, I'll talk about the Latvian trip. I'll talk about things I love. What, what keeps me from telling the story of the one I love the most, or the one who loves me the most? Maybe you're saying, I don't honestly feel that way. If you knew how much he loved you, it would change your perspective. That's the first part, the blood of the lamb. How much Jesus loves you is the starting point. And then the word of our testimony. That is where we get gospelly fluent. So the next couple weeks, we're gonna talk about this. Joe Long, when our team's in Latvia, you guys might know Joe. Joe's one of the pastors at Vineyard Covington, amazing guy. Um, his dad, Barry, um, founded this church. Him, his mom and dad, Barry and France, his sister Margie, on our elder team here. And so the Longs have a long history. So Joe's gonna come talk about the gospel. And then a couple weeks, my friend who started all this mess, my friend Amanda, if you don't like this series, you can blame her because she moved here and started asking everyone about what's the gospel. And then it just kind of took off from there. So she's gonna share her story of how the gospel has touched her. So just food for thinking, what, what, can you honestly look at Jesus and say, I love him. I love him. And if you can't, it's okay. But I want you to know that does not change one drop how he feels about you. Amen. And once we sync up with that, the word of our testimony gets a lot easier. Because it's easy to talk about something or someone we love. So is there anyone here today that would just say, I, I don't know if I know Jesus. I think I know about him, or I don't know, or I just walt, waltzed in here, or maybe I knew him before, but my heart's far from him. We, we wanna pray for you. We're gonna have prayer teams come on, come on up. We're gonna dismiss service, but don't, don't run away today. Don't, don't, don't walk away today. If you're feeling that stuff, it's not embarrassing. It's not embarrassing to um, find out how loved you are. It's not a bad thing to find out that there's been someone desperately pursuing you from even before you were born. Do you know Jesus knew you'd be born in the trouble you've had and he was still after you anyways? He still made you with a purpose. He chose you before you were born. So whether you're 10 years old or you're near in 100, like Jesus loves you. You're a baby, but they're all probably back in there. Jesus loves you. So we're just gonna pray. Father, I ask that, you're, that you would come today that you would meet us, that your gospel would be transformative and more than just, um, just kind of rote ways, Lord. I pray that your gospel, Lord, that all of us, Lord, I, I admit, 
I don't share the gospel all the time with the fervency you deserve and that people need. Sometimes I'm apathetic and lazy. Sometimes I can share with 100 people, but I think I did my quota on the 101st might be the one you want to nuke, and that's the one that you told me not to put the brake on. Would you increase our fervor? Would you increase our desire to love and to, and to be loved? Would you increase our capacity to give and receive grace? Lord, would you let us know our stories matter? Our stories matter. Lord, Benita's story is so powerful because Lord, it's not that everything was perfect, but that you met her in one of the biggest messes we can imagine and your heart is transforming her. Your heart sustained her. You've brought healing to her in more ways than just redeeming years. You've healed her soul for eternity. Help us to live in that, Lord. You came to set captives free. Would you set us free? Lord, as the psalmist says, I've run the path of your commands because you've set my heart free. If your heart's not free today, come and receive prayer. Jesus wants to free you. That's the good news. We pray these things in your mighty, powerful, wonderful, beautiful, majestic, and awesome name. Amen.